It's concert season, and concert season is all about the boots. Already, Oxford and Ole Miss have seen Morgan Wallen lighted up at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Ole Miss football star and Talk of Champions podcaster Jared Ivey bemoaned how his boots were lacking. He should have gone with Tecovis, the only stop for the Ole Miss fan and the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings for the spring and summer, including timeless, always-on-trend styles in men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. Stop by your local Tecovis store and have a complimentary drink or two on the house while you shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service, and many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The sun's a-shining in Oxford, Mississippi. Cookouts in the Grove. Beer showers. It's just the very best time for an Ole Miss Rebel to get out and get going. Carry front door peace of mind with you everywhere you go with Eufy Video Lock. Never has home security been so easy. Eufy Video Lock, an all-in-one security device for your front door, allows you to keep an eye on everything back home. And it's so easy. Installation requires only a screwdriver. So ditch those house keys forever and give Eufy Video Lock a try today. There's no monthly fee, and Eufy Video Lock has customer support on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. Go ahead, have your home as fun in the sun with the assurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock's built-in camera can tell you who's at your front door from the comfort of your poolside chair. So search Eufy Video Lock today. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of this, the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. You're tuned in to Grip It and Rip It, sponsored by LB's Meat Market. We're going to get started here in a second, but first, let's hear from LB's. Grip It and Rip It with Brian Scott Rippy is brought to you by LB's Meat Market. LB's, the preeminent butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi, the place to go for any and all of your meat needs. Just right now, they've got the Lane Train Special, a six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet for $10. they got fresh seafood, grill packs, and a lot of different types of sausages. Put simply, if your grill is in need of meat, the only place to go in Oxford, Mississippi is LB's Meat Market. Give them a call today at 662-259-2999. That's 662-259-2999. Stop by and see them at 2008 University Avenue. That's just across the street from Kroger. It's LB's Meat Market, your butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. Most of you probably familiar with Brett, former Mississippi State leader, now the Alabama beat writer for the Tuscaloosa News, has been on one of my podcasts before, I believe. Different time, different publication, but uh, we're back again. A lot has changed since then. You can find him on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson in the pages of the Tuscaloosa News. Appreciate the time, man. What's up? I don't know why you had to go and out me as a former State beat writer. Now people (laughs) 
people are going to hate me as if I'm a I'm a cowbell ring and state guy. Uh, I've done nothing wrong. <laughs> well, if you've graduated from that beat, I think it goes without saying. But at the same time, you've been <laughs> on you've been on the Alabama beat for long enough. I, I was worried the Mississippians may have forgotten you for a minute, so I was trying to uh, familiarize them with the guest. How uh, just getting started? How are things on the uh, Bama football feed? Safe and pleasant as ever. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Saban is as fun as as fun as they come. Everyone knows that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like, honest to God, I got here just in time for football season last year. Uh, so this is my second football season here, and I, I was a student at Bama, so I'm I'm educated in the workings of the machine. And I would, I guess, it's possible I would be floored if Nick knew my first name. <laughs> I, I had a. I know how that goes, dude. Okay, so it's similar. Obviously, I'm not full-time anymore, and I've moved out of the industry and kind of just working for Chuck and them at the Spirit part-time. But I was there for, you know, the first couple months of Kiffin, and from everyone I've talked to, it's kind of the same way. I mean, you're talking, like, it's very similar in Oxford now. But obviously, kind of Kiffin's become this saving disciple, even though he wasn't there that long. But, I mean, everything about the way he does things is very similar to what he learned while at Alabama. And it's kind of the same way. Like, there was really no meet and greet ever. There was kind of a weird off-the-record lunch one time where he just took questions, didn't introduce himself to anyone. It's kind of the same thing. I would bet he doesn't know very many of the full-time Beats first names. Well, kind of makes for a weird dynamic. That's fascinating to me because on, on our podcast, The Bama Beat, we recorded it earlier today, and uh, we were just kind of tossing around whole – Saban's record against former assistants, which I think is twenty and zero now, um, and and he's gone. He's on a run of facing four consecutive former assistants. They just beat Jimbo Fisher in Texas A and M last week. They got Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss this week. They got Kirby Smart in Georgia the week after that, and then the run is wrapping up with Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. So the whole former assistant storyline is is back in the news again for for whatever reason. And I just kind of threw out off the cuff. See, this is how I'm going to get back in the positive graces of your listeners. I, I just kind of threw off the cuff that I think Lane might actually be the first former assistant to beat Nick because he isn't going to do things the Nick way. If, if you look at all the other guys, Kirby Smart is trying to create Alabama at Georgia. Jeremy Pruitt is doing a pretty similar thing at, at Tennessee. And, and Jimbo has some differences, but he and Nick think about football and especially think about program building and, and running the organization in very similar ways. Lane's different. Lane thinks about things differently. He he goes about interacting with the public via his Twitter account in, in different ways and and speaks in ways that Nick and Kirby and Jeremy and Jimbo never would. So uh, I'm a little disheartened that he is taking too much of of the Saban system with him to to Oxford because I, I kind of thought being different would be what ends up doing it for him because clearly the other former assistants trying to recreate Saban's system at other shops has not worked not once not one single time so I kind of thought doing something different might might work out for him. So I'm, I'm kind of curious that balance he strikes between being himself, but also uh, t- taking things that he learned at Alabama. 
you know, that's a fascinating point you bring up because you're exactly right in that sense to where he's not the same in terms of the way he thinks about football and the way he wants to build a program. I guess I was just kind of, when I said that, I was kind of referring to the fact that the, at least from the naked eye and never having, or I say layman's terms, and never having covered Saban myself, he seems to deal with the media the same way. Okay. And honestly, now that I think about it, and to, to your point, that may be less of, I'm going to try to do like, be like Nick Saban, because to your point in other facets of program building, I would say actually most of them, he's not like Saban, but I, I just wonder if he got to Alabama, got to Tuscaloosa, kind of having been burned by the media so many times. I mean, the I mean, you go from Oakland to Knoxville to the tarmac firing um, at, at, at LAX and that whole infamous deal. I wonder if he's gotten burned by quote unquote media so many times or they haven't been friendly to him that once he got to Alabama and he saw how Saban interacts, he was like, oh, I might try that. That might work. Because he's got, like, his buddies in the national media. Like, he, he's a totally different guy when he goes on Dan Lebitard or Dan Patrick or, hell, the Pat McAfee show last week than when he shows up in front of a microphone at the IPF in Oxford. And so that may be more of that than, than trying to be, like, say, because to your point, everywhere else he really hasn't been. But I thought it was funny because you guys don't get to talk to coordinators, right? It's a year? Yeah. So, the, there's one – preseason availability at the beginning of camp and then when the bowl game forces them to they they have to but that's it so lane adopted that and it was funny because yeah. i was mentioning that off the record meeting or whatever and at the end of it and i, I can't remember if it was jeff levy or dj durkin like the, the the whole thing was a little awkward in and of itself and at the end of it like it was very understood that he's taking the same approach you don't talk to coordinators he may have said that earlier on and I can't remember if it was Durkin or Levy just walked out the door and kind of smiled and was like, see y'all next year. And uh, <laughs> that was kind of the, the end of that. So that was uh, that was just a funny note, I thought, in the sense of him handling – he and Saban kind of handling the media better. One last, like, macro thought, just because I'm curious before we get into football and into the matchup. You know, and the COVID talk and all of that, I mean, it gets kind of tiring, right? It is what it is. The season is uncertain. You're just kind of taking it week by week. But how has Saban handled, I say handled it, handled the questions? Because you haven't seen like the, at least we haven't seen it from a national level, like the grumpy Saban blow up about a COVID question or something. Has he been fairly calm when asked about it? Yes. Uh, he hasn't been forthcoming about their testing information. Um, like we've, we've since learned from, from reporting that Alabama had some positive tests when uh, when they first came up, came back to campus in, in June, which was to be expected. And he's kind of hinted at some players missing practice time during preseason camp due to uh, due to positive tests and and other things. So so the, the lack of transparency with information certainly helps control that narrative. But he hasn't been super grumpy about it. I think he's kind of taken the the position of if I want my players to treat this as an important issue, thus take it seriously and, and not expose themselves to the virus, do everything right, et cetera. I have to do that in, in public. And, and another thing that Nick does with the media is he's never answering a media question. He's never speaking to media. He's always using it as a device to go back to his players. Um, so, so I think he was using that as an opportunity to, take the virus seriously to kind of re-communicate those protocols and, and give everyone in his organization another 
avenue to hear what he wants done with it um, to to avoid it as best as they they can. And I, I know the opt outs thing came out with uh, with with Lane talking about it uh, whenever his uh, press conference was. And I, I mean, to to a certain extent, yes, Alabama hasn't had opt outs. They've had a couple. Um, but none, none that are going to like show up huge on the depth chart or, or anything. I think Alabama, frankly, just got lucky. I mean, if you look at the guys who opt out, they're typically guys who are looking at the draft and could more or less take or leave playing a 2020 season. They, they've done what they can do with their skill set. It's time for them to, to move on, and, and opting out due to COVID purposes gives them a, a way to not risk injury. With a lot of Alabama's guys, they had something to prove like Devonte Smith and Alex Leatherwood, uh, Dylan Moses. They all came back because there was untapped potential there. Like Dylan Moses had to show that he's truly healthy. Devonte Smith needs another year of, of being a top guy. in in this core, Alex Leatherwood has some things he can improve that could make him a first round draft pick. Patrick Sertan, the second, the cornerback could certainly use another year like last year on, on film this year and ain't a bigger role now that he's the, the number one with Trayvon Diggs with the Dallas Cowboys now. So I think Bama was lucky in that a lot of their key players have something to prove for for NFL franchises, which certainly helps their, their opt-out situation. Yeah, that's a really good point because in terms of like Kiffin, Kiffin's never not one to stir the pot. I don't even know if that's correct English, but we're going to roll with it. Uh, but that was an interesting, like, manner in which to do it. Like, if of all the ways he could prod Saban and prod the Alabama she- machine, the whole, well, they don't have any opt-outs thing was a weird way, in my opinion, to kind of, like, like, that was a weird thing to point out because, to your point, like, it just seemed like they were kind of fortunate. Like, I, I didn't make the, the quote-unquote Alabama machine connection between that and a, a lack of opt-outs. Like, I, just, I thought that was a weird uh, – I just thought that whole quote was kind of strange, but whatever. Kiffin is is going to be Kiffin. That is for certain. You mentioned Alabama players and having something to prove. Kind of just getting started. Mac Jones, what, like 14, 13 incompletions so far this year has looked yeah. pretty sharp. Granted, I haven't been locked into both Alabama games. Admittedly, last year they were playing the same time as Ole Miss. I kind of caught as much as I could. Just thoughts on him so far. He's been exactly what I expected him to be. Uh, I think a lot of people in in the fan base are kind of like fish to a shiny object when it comes to five-star quarterbacks or five-star recruits, um, which is hilarious since Alabama gets like all of them. You, you'd think there would be a, a sort of disillusioning factor, but it, it hasn't happened yet. Um, and Bryce Young was definitely that, that guy. He, there was a certain sect of the fan base who – Saw what Mac Jones did in spot starts for an injured Tua last year and, and see a five-star recruit coming in and say, there's the Messiah. There's the guy. We're going straight from Tua to this five-star, and everything's going to be great. Um, but Mac Jones was was a perfectly competent quarterback, and, and admittedly, evaluating what he did last year was tricky because he came in more or less at halftime for an injured Tua twice against I think it was against Tennessee and then again against Mississippi State when he had the hip injury that put him out for good. So you don't want to evaluate those two games too seriously because he's coming in. It's a weird situation uh, for an injured quarterback at, at that. And then two of his four starts were against Arkansas and Western Carolina, a just garbage football team and an FCS football team. So you don't want to evaluate those two things either. 
you're left with the Iron Bowl and the Capital One Bowl against Michigan. In the Iron Bowl, he had two pick sixes. Now, they were one of them was totally not his fault. The other one was probably an overthrow, um, but neither of those are necessarily likely to be returned for a touchdown, but they were. And, and when you have two pick sixes in a game, you lose by three points, a rivalry game at that, those things are going to be going to be remembered uh, pretty well by your by your fan base. So th- those two pick sixes in, in the Iron Bowl kind of colored public perception of Mac a little bit. But you got to remember, he was on the road against one of the best defenses in the country. And there were another 30-some-odd throws in that game that went pretty good. Bama put up 45 points in that game. I, I, Mac Jones showed that he was a competent quarterback who really understood the scheme. He, he was putting the ball where it needed to be almost all the time. And, and Saban said against Texas A&M, he had one bad read. He threw the ball 40-something times and had one bad read. No, no, 27, sorry. 27 times. It was Kellen Mond who threw 40-something times. 27 times, one bad read. Um, he places the deep ball very accurately, as you could see in that A&M game. He threw for 16.1 yards per attempt. John Mechie the third had a huge game. And he is everything that Alabama needs at, at quarterback right now. So I, I don't think that what he's done has surprised me yet because he's He's done everything I thought he would be. And now I didn't think he would go for 16.1 yards per attempt, completing 74% of his passes in, in game two. But uh, qualitatively, everything he's done has been more or less what I anticipated. He's an interesting case in the sense that, like, he's got, he's technically a junior. This year doesn't count. You mm-hmm. mentioned the whole five star, you know, the whole five star thing. And, like, it's, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is there any world where he starts at Alabama for? I'll go over under after like this season counting. Is he the starter at Alabama for two and a half more seasons? Really tough call because here's the thing about Bryce. Bryce is gifted. He is he is truly different. You know you can you can have the guys in camp and you can watch all the film you want before you offer a guy and, and sign him, but it's. It's really difficult to know what you're really getting until you get him on your campus and you have him in practice for a week or so or more, and, and you can kind of really see what you have. And when they did that, they saw that what they thought they had is what they have. He is insanely talented. The mobility is there. Uh, he's putting on some weight so he can run a little bit or competently. Um Against SEC defenses, the the arm, the quote unquote arm talent is just immaculate with with Bryce. So as he gains experience in the Sarkeesian system, there very well could come a time down the road where Bryce Young's talent kind of forces Alabama into a difficult situation where his rapport with the receivers and his knowledge of the scheme is comparable with what Mac is bringing to the table and. And maybe they're forced to make a, a difficult decision down the road. I don't think that's going to happen before the end of this season because Mac is is operating things the way they need to be operated, and and a freshman taking a year to to learn a, a relatively complex system is not a bad thing. Definitely, and like to your point, so far, like he's going. I mean, he, he obviously probably won't keep up with this whole. You know, six and a half completions per incompletions, I should say, per game clip. But it's almost like 
it's competent, but it seems like even from the Iron Bowl, you mentioned the weird pick six that wasn't his fault. The other one, probably an overthrow. But uh, like they didn't lose the Iron Bowl because of him. And so I just wonder, like, what level of play does he have to sustain to kind of keep, I guess, the young five-star off his back? And I guess I'm not even really talking about this year because it sounds like he's probably pretty entrenched for this season. But if he wants to come back and come through and do it again next year, like, I mean, he, I guess what level of play is that? Like, is it just continuing where he's at? Like, what level of slip-up would cause them at any point, whether it's 2020 or 2021, to pull the trigger on Bryce? Uh, that's tough. I, I mean, Yeah, because that's the, a subjective question, I guess. Yeah, like, it, for, I guess for, there's no, like, firm line. Yeah, for, for the future, doing what he's done the first two weeks has a decent chance of, of holding Bryce Young off. Um, for this year, he could probably – perform a little worse than he has in the first two games and still hold on to the job for for the rest of the season it's it's really hard to tell but this thing is is firing on all cylinders right now so it's it's almost hard to imagine something happening where where Alabama would have to turn to Bryce Alabama's rushing attack through the first two weeks has probably not been up to Saban standards I would say and it's definitely not necessarily what kind of uh, other viewers around the SEC are used to. You're two weeks in, coming off an extremely strange offseason. But the one thing I, that just generally kind of sticks out without looking into a ton of what's actually the cause of it, normally Alabama has two guys that are quote unquote from SEC territory, like household names, like you know exactly who both of them are. Mm-hmm. And when one gets tired, they hit you with the other one. It doesn't appear to be that way this year, right? It's 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 Najee Harris, and then I guess who? Like who is that? The is that kind of what's missing right now in your mind? What's what's going on with the running game? I mean, it's three and a three point four yards per carry, I guess, through two games. I mean, it's not awful, but it's certainly not what you're used to seeing from Alabama. Right. So I'll, I'll get to the issues with this year in in a second. To your point about the the two headed monster. That's what made last year's team so different uh, in its first season under Steve Sarkeesian is they didn't really do that. Last year, Najee Harris had 209 carries. The number two guy, Brian Robinson Jr., had 96. I mean, that that level of, of separation between the first and second running back in the Saban era has only happened in 2015 when Derrick Henry won the Heisman Trophy on 395 carries that year. Um, that's really the only time that's happened at Saban. And I was really interested by this. So I, I did some research into it. And if you look at Sarkeesian's track record as the head coach at both USC and, and Washington, this is kind of what he does. He isn't someone who does a running back by committee thing and, and has two or three running backs in, involved. If you go back, to his previous tenures as a head coach, he pretty much has a feature running back every year. And he said this year was going to be different because they're so talented at running back this year. They have Najee Harris coming back off of a 1,200-yard, 13-touchdown season. Brian Robinson Jr. is back. They have a five-star freshman, Trey Sanders, who missed last year with a foot injury. He's back. They added a five-star and a four-star running back in the 2020 recruiting class, and then a three-star out of Louisiana as well. 
they they even had an opt out at, at the running back position, and, but no one notices because they're still so ridiculously talented. But it, it's just not something Steve Sarkeesian has has ever done. So it's something I've, I'm going to be tracking for for a few weeks to see if they actually do divvy up the the reps at, at running back. When it comes to this year, it, it's hard to say. It's only two games. You don't want to overreact to a, a sample of of this size. We're, we're recording this Tuesday night. We talked to Landon Dickerson, Alabama center, earlier today. And, of course, an offensive lineman is going to blame all run game issues on, on the offensive line. Um, but that part is interesting because I I was pretty vocal about this. I thought Alabama was going to have the best offensive line in the country this year. They, they got to the point – it took them about a month last year to, to get up to speed while Deontay Brown, their starting left guard, was was serving a four game suspension from the NCAA, um, but once they once they got him back, they worked their way up to being one of the four Joe Moore Award finalists, which is given to the the best offensive line, as in the collective of five in the in the nation. And they returned four of those five starters. So I, I really thought this was going to be the best offensive line in the country, and the and the run game results to this point haven't bared that out. So that's I don't really have a good answer for for why I, I thought it would be better than this and Texas A&M's got a really good defensive front and Missouri's kind of underrated in, in that regard so it's possible as they face some lesser defenses in in the SEC over the next five or six weeks or so those numbers improve and and things normalize but it, it is something that's kind of caught people's attention and it's frankly something we're we're still looking for an answer on and then at the same time, like I wonder if there's any correlation to be drawn. It seems like they've been pretty good in pass protection. So I just wonder if it's like a two-game thing or if there's actually an issue there, to your point. Because it seems like they projected Mac Jones really well. He's been sacked, what, once in two games? Like, that's getting it done. You mentioned them being the best offensive line in the country. It'd be hard to disagree. So I, It just seems more so that it's probably a little that we probably laugh at talking about in five weeks, maybe three weeks from now. But just kind of one kind of last encompassing thought on that. You mentioned the Sarkeesian strategy of just kind of having the feature back and there never really being, you know, by committee, two-headed monster, whatever you want to call it. Just say Najee Harris misses some time, like minor injury, what have you, or they decide to, to kind of feature another guy. Which one out of that group you mentioned a minute ago has the best shot of being that? It'd probably be Brian Robinson Jr., the the senior, but I think at that point they would go by committee because it, it it certainly helps that, that Najee Harris is one of the best running backs in in the nation. He, he very well could have gone in in last year's draft and and potentially gone maybe early second round, uh, but he he wants to go higher than that, so he he came back. Um, uh, that's that's an interesting question. There's there's so much talent that. Brian Robinson Jr. is definitely the next man up. Um, at, at the moment, Najee has 29 carries, and Brian Robinson Jr. has 14. Trey Sanders has 11, but they're all in, in garbage time for the most part. Like I think he took three carries in the final two minutes of the Texas A&M game last week when Bama was already up 52-24. to 24. So I guess it would be Brian Robinson Jr. if that happened, but that would cause a pretty interesting reckoning with their offense if it, if it did go down that way. Defensive side of the football, they've been pretty good. And I was watching the Texas A&M game last weekend, and it was same time as Ole Miss was, so it was getting the second television treatment in terms of like 
focus. But just a, a large macro thought from my point of view, it's like they beat A&M by 28 points, and it didn't even feel like Alabama played that well. And I'm just curious if that's a sign to how dominant you think Alabama can be, particularly on the offensive side of the football this year. Or is that an indictment on A&M just really not being as good as Jimbo Fisher's pile of cash? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um I do think there is some room for improvement in this in this Alabama defense. And it's expected to be much, much better than, than last year's defense was. It's expected to be a lot a lot better. Uh, because there's so much and there's so much more experience. They they played a ton of freshmen on, on last year's defensive line. Those guys are now experienced sophomores. They got LeBron Ray back who missed uh, the final 10 games of last season with with a foot injury. They had their two most experienced inside linebackers out for the entire season with knee injuries, Dylan Moses and Joshua McMillan. Uh, Dylan Moses is is back, um, and they still have Patrick Sertan II uh, as a star cornerback. They're still working through some things on the secondary, which kind of makes this matchup with with Ole Miss pretty pretty interesting. But they're, they're expected to make some – significant strides defensively and they've made some of them but they're clearly not all the way there and I mean the fan base has been doing this since uh, really since pretty early last season but there's a little bit of a reckoning on defensive coordinator Pete Golding I still think it's a little early for that um but if Alabama can just simply improve its tackling that would that would make a big difference, um, and, and it's early in the season. If you're if you're super sharp and you're tackling on game one, that probably tells me you went you went live too often in preseason practice, and you either got a bunch of guys hurt in spring practice, or you're going to have them wear down late in the year, um, and, and they're going to get hurt later on because you put so many miles on their on their bodies early. Uh, but tackling needs to make a, a significant improvement over the next couple of weeks if, if Alabama is going to get where it wants to go defensively. And, and the game against Ole Miss would be uh, a big step in step in, in the direction for, for that. But I think the bigger thing for, for that is the breakdowns in the secondary. They have three new starters back there, including both deep safeties, which tend to run the communication side of things. And uh, there have been some coverage busts and, and breakdowns and miscommunications in, in that regard. And uh, uh, obviously a team like Ole Miss is pretty primed to, to take advantage of those things with the talent and scheme it has offensively. Uh, but those are also things that lead to big plays that can skew the numbers like Texas A&M had last week with 450 yards of, of offense. So uh, there, there are a couple of things, tackling and, and coverage breakdowns, that can make this defense what it's supposed to be as opposed to uh, what it currently is, which is not a huge gap there, but there is a gap that, that needs to be closed before they, they face off with some of the more talented competition on, on this schedule, like the, the Georgia, LSU, and Auburn of the world. What is the most interesting part of this week's matchup? Because I think you probably hinted at your answer a second ago, but like it has a potential to be fun offensively. I think the over-under was like hovering around 80, which... Mm-hmm. Uh, could only be topped by the Egg Bowl here in a couple months. But a lot of offense, it's interesting because the last couple of times Ole Miss and Alabama have played, I guess last year notwithstanding, Ole Miss has had a hell of a lot more talent on the perimeter at wide receiver. The scheme's just been utterly incompetent. And that's what led to 66-3 and 60-whatever to 7 in 2018. And 
So I, I just wonder, like, it's interesting because it seems like you have more of a competent scheme this year, but the talents in terms of, I guess, just ball catching and going, get it. I mean, the AJ Brown, Demarcus Lodge, DK Metcalfs of the world. But what's the most interesting part of this to you? Because it probably is the passing game for Ole Miss. But I just, from your vantage point, what is it? It definitely is Ole Miss's passing game trying to to attack the the small but noticeable weaknesses that that are in Alabama secondary due to the the inexperience and, and et cetera. The the issue with that is they very well could see the remnants of Hurricane Delta in in Oxford. So if it's raining buckets and there's a little bit of wind thrown in, that that could obviously neutralize some some efforts in in the past game, and that would kind of take that matchup away to to a certain extent. So it, it's definitely how Ole Miss goes about attacking Alabama secondary and how Ole Miss can kind of keep pace with Alabama scoring-wise due to some of those inexperiences in, in the secondary. But if, if Hurricane Delta takes that away, I'm going to be pretty disappointed because this is a, a big moment for Alabama's secondary. It's a big moment for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss as well to see where they measure up in, in a spot like this, this early in the in the Kiffin era. But it's a it's a big one for, for Bama too, because while they're highly likely to beat Ole Miss, they're significantly more talented than Ole Miss is in, in a lot of areas. There are teams later on on Alabama's schedule that are going to test this secondary pretty heavily. I mean, there's an air raid school in, in the conference right now. Uh, Auburn has a returning quarterback and their best wide receiver is, is back. I realize opinions are split on, on Bo Nix, but they are both returning. Uh, Georgia is, is very talented. I don't know they're offensively prolific, but they're very talented. Uh, LSU seems dedicated to, to continuing on its uh, spread renovation, I, I guess, of its program after its 2019 season. There are going to be some schools down the road that – want to test this secondary and, and, and Alabama needs to be live under the fire to, to prove that it can live up to that test or at least be tested to improve. Cause that while, while Ole Miss is unlikely to test it to the point that it wins, there are schools later on, on Alabama's schedule that very well could. Who is Alabama's punter? Sam Johnson. He's a, he's a freshman walk on from Birmingham. If Saban really wanted to make a statement uh, in response to Lane just constantly prodding him, he'd leave him in Tuscaloosa because I think he could get away without him being used once. Just throwing that idea out there. Oh, that would be awesome. I'm here for it. Uh, they, I really, sure I, they may not punt. punt. I'm, I'm sure they can find someone to punt. Actually, um, there is a freshman defensive lineman on the team, Jermarian Latham, who went to a super, super small 1A school in the state of Alabama, Pickens County. It's in Reform, Alabama. Anyone who's driven in the Tuscaloosa area probably drove through Reform on their way to Tuscaloosa. Because it's a super small school, he punted in high school. So bring him for depth on the defensive line and make him punt if you have to punt. That's I'm here for it. I am here for that as well. But in all seriousness, will you bring that up in terms of Alabama being kind of a test? Like, I guess there is sort of a world. You mentioned your your kind of original uh, bombshell you dropped on the pod was you think Lane might be the first assistant to finally beat Saban. I guess there is a world in which this game is 
hell, I don't know, like 55-35 and maybe Ole Miss throws one in late when Alabama doesn't have very many guys on the field and the score looks better than the game actually was. It reminds me kind of of LSU Ole Miss last year where Plumlee ran for a gajillion yards and uh-huh. LSU was kind of halfway into it, that type of deal. But if like, I guess there's a way this loss looks to where it may kind of plant the whole seed for for what's to come and, and how Lane could kind of build this thing to try to rival Saban. Like, is, is there any sort of way, like, like, do you see anything from Saban at all or hear anything from Saban or the program at all that would kind of like to make a statement like 63-7 type of thing this week? And is there, is there anything to that, I guess I should ask? I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I realize the, the departure between uh, Lane and Nick wasn't, as cordial as it could have been, but I, I think both of them appreciate what the other did for them. Nick took Laban, took Lane in at a time where he was a pariah in the coaching industry, and it was a, a serious question if he was going to get uh, an opportunity even close to anything he had had to that point in his career, and, and, and Nick gave him an opportunity on the platform that is Alabama football and, and let Lane kind of rehabilitate his image to the point that he's now gotten two head coaching jobs since then. So, so Lane is surely appreciative of what Nick gave him. And I think Nick is appreciative of, of Lane. I don't want to say dragging Alabama and or Nick kicking and screaming into the new offensive era, but Nick Saban was aware that they needed to modernize their, their offense in certain ways. If they were going to continue being a top five team every single year and being a genuine national championship threat every single year. They knew they had to make some changes to how they approached things on the offensive side of the ball. And they knew Lane Kiffin was the kind of guy who would show zero reserve in pushing that envelope as far as he could possibly get away with. So I think they both appreciate what the other did for, for them. And and while the, the ending wasn't a a storybook ending, I don't, I don't think that that either side is going to be, uh, there with an axe to grind. Yeah, I would agree in the end. That's so one last kind of just final encompassing thought on Alabama. You're at this point in the Nick Saban dynasty. You know, you're out of the playoff last year, the year before they get beat by Clemson in the national title game. Weirdness of this year aside, what is kind of the like, I guess, big picture mindset? This could be a combination of inside the program or the fan base or whichever way you want to go with it. Like, what is the motivation? Like, does it feel like they've been absent from the national stage? I know that sounds ludicrous to say, but you just got so used to playing Alabama, Alabama playing in the title game every year and winning it every other year for about you know, almost a decade there. What is kind of the motivation, I guess, to get back in that light? Yeah, they, I mean, like you said, it sounds ludicrous, but Bama hasn't won a national title since 2017. They're kind of sick of that. They hadn't, they hadn't had a dry spell like that in in a pretty long time. Um, so they're they're kind of sick of that, and I think that's where their their motivation lies. They're ready to to get back to to what it has been previously, and it's not like the the program's fallen off or anything. They just haven't had everything. Uh, fall their way in, in 2018 or, or 2019. Um, but I think that's their, their motivation. The, the tagline is Bama Factor. They, they kind of they missed the days where, where people uh, lost to Bama the second Bama stepped off the bus. 
They 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 miss those days and and they want to get those back and that that manifests in in what they're calling restoring the Bama factor. That was something that was said a lot last year and I think it's carrying over this year. Fascinating, restoring the Bama factor. If that doesn't happen, because it, and I, I I hate making re, like kind of bold concrete uh, statements after two weeks, but it does look like Alabama is could sleepwalk its way through the West, right? I mean. LSU week one, losing to Mike Leach in the fashion that it did. They have all kinds of issues defensively. Brennan seems okay. I just don't really know what to make of it. They're definitely not on the same level as last year. A&M and Jimbo Fisher, I mean, Alabama already kind of put that one to bed. Auburn doesn't look like they can move the football in any good defense with any consistency. And then the other three programs are really just not even on the same playing field yet in where they are as programs. If Alabama doesn't get there, and I think you would be fascinating is seeing this next week, two weeks, whenever it is they play Georgia, is probably kind of the telltale sign. But if Alabama isn't able to get back to the national title game or win the national title, what would be the reason in your mind? Is there one? <sighs> if, if something keeps Alabama from winning the Natty this year, I, I would guess it's probably the defense making strides but not enough strides. Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that would probably have to be it. I'm not sure that this offense is going to be the the issue. I, I think if if Alabama does stumble and and cost itself a chance at the national title, it so covets. I would imagine it's because the defense makes some strides, but but not enough to 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 do what they need to do. Maybe that's uh, losing to Clemson in a national title game or, or losing to a a high-powered offense in a semifinal somewhere, but I, I would imagine that's probably it. Fascinating stuff, Brett. I really appreciate the time. This was awesome, as always. Uh, good luck with everything this year. Are you traveling to Oxford Saturday? Are you going by boat? I will, yeah. I'll, I'll be there. Um, I'm looking forward to getting some wings at Southern Coop, actually. That's my number one goal. Now you're making me miss Oxford. Damn, that sounds good. Brett, I appreciate the time as always. Fantastic stuff. Safe travels to Oxford. Hope to maybe see you around soon. And uh, glad you and the family are doing well. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.